Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is the 16th of June, 2014, and this is episode 82. My name is Jake English, and here, as always, to keep me from falling down on myself is Scott Magnus. Now, if you're listening to my voice right now, you are most likely hearing us at our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. But it's also possible that you found us on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which can be found at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network, where you can find not only this show, but other great programs about the Baltimore Orioles and Baltimore sports. You can uh, you can still find us on iTunes, uh, at least today. And if you do so, please go there and rate the show. Uh, leave us a little review. We, we would appreciate that greatly. Also, you can find the show on Miro, Stitcher, and Double Twist. Uh, also places Scott likes to make up. And if you're the social media type, you can find the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash BEVcast. You can find us on Google Plus if you really must. You can listen to all the shows on YouTube. And you can find us on Twitter at BirdseyeViewBAL. Also, quick thing to check out. When you're at the BaltimoreSportsReport.com slash network, make sure that you're uh, looking for us on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. Uh, Post Game Live on Channel BSR can be found every Tuesday and Thursday, 15 minutes or so after the game. Uh, hosts from the Baltimore Sports Report Network break down the game. It's a lot of fun. Come find us. And with that, Scott, what's your drink of the week? Jake, my drink of the week um, following this Father's Day weekend is a bourbon-infused butter pecan milkshake. What? A bourbon-infused butter pecan milkshake. Um, okay, I got nowhere to go with that. I, myself, am drinking, as I sometimes do, a tall glass of water. So there's two tall glasses of water across from me. Indeed. Okay. All right, now that we've uh, gotten that out of the way, can we can we take a walk through the medical wing? Sure, let's go through the medical wing. Um, Michael Amanzar was transferred to the 68-day DL on June 6th. Um, I would assume that would be retroactive in order to make uh, a uh, roster spot open on the 40-man. Egmer Escalona is on his AAA rehab assignment now, so we're going to probably be looking for him in the near future as well. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Escalona, given consideration that he's a left-handed pitcher. Um, we'll be interesting to see how the Orioles get him into the bullpen, given to the fact that it's so cluster right now. TJ McFarlane, is he on notice? Probably. Okay. They can make room with him, so why not? Right. Uh, Francisco Puerro is on a double-A rehab assignment right now, just getting that re- that hamstring stretched out a bit more. I, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We thought he'd be coming up any time now, and now I'm not so sure. Well, I mean, 
David Lowe is is being useful. Um, Delman Young again useful. So he's breathing. Steve Steve Pierce again useful. So I'm not sure there's any reason to to cut this uh, bring this guy into the into the majors. All right. Well, those are three people that are great, but really quadruple A players at best. Let's talk about you know people that are here for the future. Dylan Bundy started his Aberdeen rehab assignment, had some moderately good results, got through five innings pitched. Um, you know, I guess that's encouraging to see. We'll just have to see how it progresses through the rest of the season. Um, he's starting off at single A, low Aberdeen, so short season Aberdeen. Um, are we just looking for him to come up to Frederick, and that's about it? Yeah, he won't. He won't be there very long. No, I, I would assume that he's going to be at least at Double A this okay, year. You think he's going to get back up to Double A? Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah. Um, Johan Santana gone forever. Womp womp. Um, Miguel Gonzalez is on the cusp of returning. He's already been uh, put in to you know the slot for a rotation for tuesday's game so we'll see what happens with that um jake thoughts about gonzalez coming back in the rotation and gossman staying in the rotation for wednesday uh i don't know how they do it but i i would really hate to see them uh send gossman down to make room for gonzalez gonzalez has been very uh, effective and consistent and i i don't think that he's done anything to lose his spot in the rotation but i would hate to see gossman pitching well contributing to the team sent to the minors for a bunch of guys that don't really have a lot of faith in. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, but I, I come back to the fact too of, you know, we've got TJ McFarlane there. I don't understand why we don't just send him down and even put someone into the long man spot, even if it's just going to skip a start. So for example, if we want to skip Jimenez, his next start, that's fine. Then Jimenez moves into a long man rotation just in case, you know, he's needed during that time. Hey, there are people in Baltimore that would like to skip his starts for the next three years. That's not going to happen, folks. Get over it. Um, the other person that was the big news of the day was Matt Wieters went into Dr. James Andrews and was given the forecast of, eh, we're going to do some surgery tomorrow. Yeah. The, the answer was, come back tomorrow, we'll get this thing taken care of. So he got shaved down today, basically, and uh, he's going to come back tomorrow. Do you need to get us like a sponge bath before that happens? I, I think that he has sponge baths every night, and this is no different. Okay, I really don't know if I want to see Dr. James Andrews giving sponge baths. But, you know, the one thing that kind of bothers me about the whole situation is, yes, I, I like how you just drop that and move on, yeah. like nothing happened. Yeah, nothing happened. The one thing that really does bother me is, last year we had the situation with Dylan Bundy, and it's, oh, it could get better, it could be, get better. And never got better, and it was finally... It's just a flesh wound, that's exactly. all. Exactly. And then this year it was, all right, Matt, we're probably going to get Tommy John surgery, and then it was, well, maybe he doesn't. And then a few weeks later, it's, all right, he has to get it, surgery. Okay. So the, the one of the timelines that came out today um, was, you know, Matt Wieters would be back um, by, uh, you know, the start of the season next year, but there was a, you know, precursor. Some people were reporting saying he wouldn't be available for catching until May. That's really the case, and the Orioles really screwed the pooch in terms of, you know, how they handle this this surgery timeline. Yeah, I'm I'm not. I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, I think this was a lot of Matt Weider seeing if there was any way that he could avoid surgery, because this is not a, a minor thing. Tommy John surgery. I mean, I know we laugh about oh, everybody gets it done now, but it's surgery on his arm, on the thing that helps him make his living. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Matt Weider's doing everything he physically could. To keep that from happening, um, I I understand that to a certain point, but again, Matt Weiders did not stay at a Holiday Inn last night, so you have to let doctors and the team make that decision. Yeah, and some of the doctors said there's a chance that this is going to work out without surgery. Did they have Holiday Inn certificates or go on? I'm just saying. I just this is the second year in a row where we basically have pushed off Tommy John surgery, and I really question the fact of 
why do we continue to do that? Where's your diploma? Um, I got it at University of Phoenix, so I'm assuming that's a highly accredited organization. Absolutely. All right, anything else from the medical wing? That is all I have from the medical wing this week. All right, well, in that case, let's go to the twat. This week on the Twitter. Um, big news today coming out was um, Tony Gwynn has passed away at the very young age of 54. That's uh, terrible. And it, it's absolutely horrible. Um, you know, the fact that he went into the Hall of Fame with Cal and it just kind of puts a morbidity on your childhood experiences. Um, I, I I don't know what to say besides it's just a great loss for baseball and specifically for the San Diego Padres organization. Yeah, it's so sad, especially because everybody you talk to says that as good a ball player he was, he was a better person. And, you know, how often do you do you really get that these days where incredibly talented people are just, you know, tremendously gracious and wonderful people to be around who, who bring everybody up around them? I can um, tell you right now that's going to be in Delman Young's eulogy. <laughs> that's that's the saddest part of that. So in the in the Twitter this week, um, today, just today, there was lots of great stuff related to uh, Tony Gwynn. Baseball Reference tweeted out a bunch of stats. Here's one. Uh, Tony Gwynn, uh, 302, is the only player in our data to hit over 300 in two strike counts. The next best was Wade Boggs all the way down at 262. That's pretty dominating. Here's another one uh, from Bill Shaken, at Bill Shaken. Uh, June 10th, 1981, Tony Gwynn is drafted twice. Third round by the Padres, 10th round by the Clippers. It's 10th round by the Clippers, though. So that's, you know, it's NBA draft. That's so far deep that it doesn't really matter. That's like picking, you know, it, that's not really that big of a deal. All right, here's another one then. Tony Gwynn, 434 strikeouts in 10,232 plate appearances over 20 years. All right, that's 10,232 plate appearances. Yeah. Okay. Mark Reynolds, 434 strikeouts in 1,258 plate appearances in 2009-2010. Oh. <laughs> that tweet from at Can't Predict Ball. Wait, 2009-2010, and we still let him come to the Orioles? Yes, oh, oh wow. Oh, yes, we did. Oh, oh wow. And there's uh, one last tweet that I saw, and you know, I, can't, uh, I can't find the source, but uh, a lot was made of the fact that he did pretty well against Greg Maddox. And there's apparently this, this yeah. uh, quote from Greg Maddox talking about how hitters can't tell the speed of a ball with the naked eye because it's just, you know, it's the human condition. The the human eye cannot make the difference between speed, uh, that judgment alone. He said, you know, if you look at a car going by, you don't know if it's going 65 or 75. You just don't have that skill. Right, so baseball players aren't able to do that. And then dot, dot, dot. Well, except that or Tony Quinn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you are man- if you manage to, to bother a Hall of Fame, uh, you know, uh, all-time great like Greg Maddox, you're doing something right. So, you know, it's a great loss for baseball, a great guy. And I don't want that to get lost in all the stats Wait, that get talked gee, about today. What's that? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a bat flip? All right, moving on. <laughs> a tweet from Ryan Wagner this week uh, from the Boston series uh, says, I don't care what the score says. The Orioles won as soon as A.J. Pruszynski flipped his bat into the uh, on a fly ball to the right fielder. Of course, we lost that game. Did you see that play? No, I saw the play, but it was still, we phenomenal. lost the game. It was phenomenal. That's great. You know, you just keep that you know gif available for the offseason when we lose by one or two games. Oh, stop it. All right, what else you got on the twat this week? All right, those who do not know their own history, 
at Orioles and Censor has posted saying, I will not talk myself to Nolan Reimold. I will not talk myself into Nolan Reimold. I will not talk myself into Nolan Reimold. I will not. Well done. That's good therapy right there. I, I hope it works out for him. Yeah. All right, let's let's get into signability here. Rockabaco at Master and Rock tweeted out earlier this week, the Orioles have reached agreement with 21 of their draft picks. Uh, those names won't be announced until they're signed. Ball four syndrome. Uh, uh, hashtag ball four syndrome. Yeah, they went after guys they knew they could get. Mm, pending physicals. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, another great thing that we saw on the Twitter this week uh, came from Ken Rosen- Rosenthal, who tweets at Ken underscore Rosenthal. Very happy to announce that I will wear a bow tie for longevity in honor of the late Monica Pence, the Orioles, dot, dot, dot. And it's the link to his... Uh, it's the link to his uh, uh, column about it. You know, he does these bow ties for charity, and it's just a great uh, a great example of, of uh, Monica Pence Barlow being honored by the baseball community. Speaking of uh, getting some national love from other sources outside of Ken Rosenthal, uh, the Orioles got a lot of love this week, specifically regarding Kevin Gossman. At Buster Olney um, posted, and you can follow him at Buster underscore ESPN, saying, watch some of Kevin Gossman start against Toronto Thursday, and he was tremendous could be a difference maker in 2014 yeah and and might just be a, a difference maker for triple a norfolk yeah um also in the media love john morosi you can follow him at john morosi say why second place orioles may be favorites to win al east also al star pitching debate which he basically goes in and says he just talks about golfman some more and basically giving the necessary depth for this organization to really strive in august and september of this year all right, Scott, I know you love the knuckleballers in this organization. Uh, Rockabaco again at, at Mazin Rock. Let us know. It was a tough day a couple days ago for the knuckleballers. Zach Clark released. Eddie Gamboa suspended 50 games. Tough day for knuckleballers, Buck said. Yeah, and then uh, R.A. Dickey got shellacked too. So that was, that was a great day for knuckleballers. Um, you know, Jake, you know, we're coming off a Monday resounding victory from the U.S. over Ghana, 2-1. to one. And uh, what did you think about that game? Uh, I thought it was a wonderful thing to have in the background when I put my kids to bed. Hold up a second. You were the one that was talking all about the World Cup before and saying, you know, this is a great opportunity and, you know, and you enjoy soccer at this time. And then you saw none of the game. That is correct. Wow. This is exactly what I was talking about. Of people are going to say they care, but they really don't care. So thanks for following that stereotype for me. But Flying Dog Brewery, and you can follow them at Flying Dog, says, why do people hate on the World Cup so much? And it's an excuse to leave work early, sit on the couch, and drink beer for your country. America! All right, lastly, a couple of other things happened on the TWAT this week, and it wasn't worth gathering all, all of them together. I just wanted to do a couple quick hits. First of all, lots of tweets about the NBA Finals, something I care nothing about. Nope. Second of all, lots of tweets, and this I do care about, about Father's Day. Lots of people tweeting out pictures of their kids decked out in Orioles gears as they spent time together. Um, yeah, that's a great thing. Uh, lots of tweets about games, uh, Game of Thrones. Scott, I know you watch Game of Thrones. I do. I do not, so I, d- I didn't uh, understand any of them. Uh, lots of tweets about the fury over fedoras. Father's Day giveaway disappointed some folks. It should. They're absolutely horrible. I'm glad I didn't go to this game. 100% made of paper, made to fit a child. And made in? Made in China. Yep. Nothing says America like made in China. And last but not least, this definitely reser- uh, deserves some twat recognition, and that is Cal Ripken, the bull shot dead this week in Baltimore. Hashtag Cal Ripken? This, 
this whole story just writes its own jokes. Like there is no need to say anything amusing about this situation other than the fact that a bull got loose in the city of Baltimore and had to be put down by the police. You know that Baltimore has a gun control problem. Yeah. When a, a cow can't walk down the street without getting gunned down. Yeah, I wonder if we got some pit beef out of that, though. Probably not. Yeah. I wonder if they started with tiger sauce. Did it, I was going to say, did it leak out tiger sauce? I don't know. But, yeah, it was actually, you know, I actually I think the funniest thing about that whole story was uh, some of the PETA comments afterwards, but it's just me. Well, for me, it was the fact that uh, somebody tweeted this out, and again, I apologize, I didn't, I didn't write it down. But uh, write it down. Like I pull yeah. out my notebook and I make I make notes about that's, the Twitter. That's what a professional would do. <laughs> I didn't write it down, but somebody tweeted out a picture of uh, an outline shaped like a cow that somebody had put in, in either tape or chalk in the in the street. That's, I thought that, that was that's clever. That was pretty good. Yeah, it's probably pretty clever. Star slugger Jim Gentile hits one down the first baseline. Yes, Dad. Hey, what team's this? We're the Gentile team. Fastest growing team in America. What's big on the training table? You know, we talk a lot about Twitter on this show, and Twitter has the power to be great, has the power to be frightening, but a couple of weeks ago, we, we had a great experience with Twitter. Um, Scott and I were watching the broadcast, and we saw a, a picture, uh, of some video of uh, Jim Gentile uh, while he was at the park, and Scott said, you know, he looks great for 80, because he had, he had just turned 80. And so Scott tweeted that out, and it was great because we were actually contacted by Bo Gentile, the son of the Oriole great Jim Gentile, uh, he's gotten in touch with us, and we actually managed to grab him and uh, and talk to him here on the podcast to talk about not only uh, his dad, baseball, fathers and sons, but all of that. All but, the, that emotional stuff that really makes me uh, I almost want to cry, basically, because it's so heart-wrenching. It's the only thing that makes a, you know, a man want to cry is just baseball and talking about fathers. So, Bo, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. No, I appreciate the invite, and uh, thank you very much for having me. Well, let's talk about that for a little bit. What uh, what had uh, you and your dad out to the ballpark that day? Well, actually, you know, dad was turning 80, and um, we actually had him out at Ranger Stadium. Um, our company um, that I work for, we bought the naming rights to Ranger Stadium there in Dallas, and with my parents living in Edmond, it was so ironic that the first year we have the naming rights, we have the suite, who do they play on my dad's 80th birthday, but the Orioles. So it was almost like it was meant to be. And what really drove it for me though, was we had now have James Gentile the third and my son, other than things that I've bought that's in print with the new media, it was like, how do I get video? How do I get pictures? How do I do things? And so I had actually gone out onto Twitter and done different things to try to collect information and pictures and, posts and things that you can save electronically. So my son will always be able to, to cherish it. So it was just ironic that we got with the Rangers. They brought him out to the game. And in the second inning, they did a fabulous montage on their big jumbotron in Ranger stadium, introduced him. And they did a, uh, the best part of the whole deal guys. I mean, this sincerely, they showed his rookie card. They did all this, but the best part was my son was sitting right next to his grandpa and you know, my dad's waving and doing all this. And then all of a sudden they sit down and my son sits next to him. And then my grandpa pointed, well, my grandpa, my dad pointed out to the jumbotron and Trey saw himself and just kind of sunk down in the chair and just hugged his grandpa. I've got that oh. video now for the rest of our lives, which wouldn't have existed if certain things hadn't come into play. And it's just through the use of Twitter, through the use of Facebook, making contacts and doing things that, that stuff like this happens. Um, we, we flew back when it got announced 
that my father and Roger Maris had actually tied for the RBI total. Mm-hmm. And they flew my dad back and gave him his bonus. But he had a $5,000 bonus for that. My son was there on, on, on at Camden Yards, went to the Hall of Fame. We've got all these pictures, but he was a year and a half old. So it's creating these memories that actually Trey can kind of go, that was me with grandpa. That was me doing this that are just so important because my dad, he was already done playing baseball by the time I was born. So I've lived everything through old timers games, going to card shows, going to do stuff. And there was always that fear that since I waited so long to have my son, he wouldn't get to experience it. So now like August 8th, when they're bringing the players back, me and Trey will be there. I'll all but be bringing a damn television crew to videotape <laughs> everything possible. Like it's more important than my wedding. I mean, I know this, my wife would hate to hear that. I know, but we made a special trip to Oklahoma just to videotape my son and my dad playing catch because I didn't have it yet. My son had turned five. My dad's 80. I mean, you know, when it really hits home is look at like today, Tony Gwynn. Yeah. When 54 years old, how blessed are we? My dad's 80. But at the same time, it's like, okay, let's go. I want Trey playing catch with his grandpa. I want Trey to be able to show his friends. This was my grandpa played baseball, did this, it, it, that's become so important. And with baseball and Father's Day and my dad's birthday all being like within a, oh, I don't know what you call it, 10 days, it's really been a neat, emotional last 10, 15 days. It's really been fantastic. Well, you know, I, I was at the ballpark for Father's Day. I took my, my family. I have two small children. We were there with my dad and his family, uh, including my younger brothers. And as much as we agonize over Orioles wins and losses and as much as we question the decisions of the front office and the manager, the moments like the ones you're describing and the ones that I think thousands of us experienced ourselves on, on Father's Day at the ballpark really bring it into focus that none of that other stuff matters. You know, that, that baseball is one of those wonderful things that's kind of in the background of the family connections and the community connections and the friendships that, that people form that are experienced through baseball. Um, and it sounds like you have a really unique, you know, connection to baseball through family that, that really, I think represents all of that. Well, you're so right. And the, the real key to it is baseball is America. Baseball is summer. It's the old commercials, apple pie, Chevrolet baseball, but it's the real core to just, it's just family. It's just, I don't know how to explain it any different than that. I've been to football games. I don't smell a football field. I can't explain how when I go into a baseball stadium, I can smell baseball. Yeah, you know, I can't. I can't smell. I can't smell a hockey arena. I can't smell basketball. But I don't know why. I don't know if it's just because it's hot and it's outside. I deny anybody to tell me that they can't walk into a baseball stadium and smell baseball. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's that sensory memory, and I think you know. I think back to it, you know. I don't remember, you know, my dad and me, you know, throwing a football around so much or like kicking a soccer ball. But I remember going out with my dad, him having a glove, I'm having a glove, him teaching me how to oil down my glove, taking a ball and just throwing it back and forth. And it might have been only for five or ten minutes. But those are the kind of memories that you can just – it's the sights and the sound and just the smell of it that as soon as you walk into a baseball stadium, it's just instant, you know – you know, satisfactory of like, up. Oh, I'm remembering my childhood and my adulthood and kind of just, it's just a wonderful experience. It's the one thing where people, it's almost like a legacy thing. It's like you hand it down. It's like, I'm taking, I don't really hear people when they reminisce, talk about, I'm taking my son to his first football game. Right. 
Actually, that's a really everybody good point. Remembers, everybody remembers the first baseball game. It's a everybody really good point. Everybody remembers taking the ball game. There, You don't take a football helmet to the game, but you always take your ball glove in case you get a foul ball. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's actually a really interesting point that you just pointed out. Of. You're basically passing down the heritage, and that's you know kind of what you're doing right now with collecting your dad's memories and just saying, I'm passing these memories on to my son. And you know, I think that's such a great point of it's a legacy game, and you're passing along not just the experience, but the stories that built into it. And that's why records and stories and what happened 50 years ago are so important today as they were back then. And, and, you know, coming back to the whole Tony Gwynn thing, what Tony Gwynn did during the 1980s and 1990s is just important today as it was back Mm -hmm. then for the Padres organization. So, you know, I I totally agree with you. This is, you know, everyone's doing such a great job here just summing up how how amazing baseball is. (laughs) Yeah. The the key thing for me where it's a different, one little different perspective, a short story was, I go on eBay a lot of times to find the knickknacks that people think Jim Gentile, it's, you know, the best part about it is unless you really were in Baltimore or really a true baseball person, my dad's not a household name, just being very, but that saves me a lot of money when people go to sell things that they don't recognize what the, what the sentimental value is to me versus what it would be to someone else. So my son's first wiffle ball was a 1962 packaged Woolworths wiffle ball with my dad, Willie Mays, Ernie Banks, and Harmon Killebrew in the package. It was an original package that I got off eBay. So when my son opened up his first wiffle ball and bat, it was his grandpa's. His first glove was a Jim Gentile model glove. That And those are the things that I just, once I knew I was having a son and once I knew I was having a deal, that's all I've been on is how much of this can I collect and have so it never stops, never goes away. And then that's bringing it back even again to the social media thing. So many things now are electronic and so many things now live forever. It's not, where did I put that magazine? It's just go out and Google it. You can click on the video. You know, that's the one thing that I cherish having my son in this age is he can always just go out on Google, get images and there's his grandpa. Yeah. That's amazing. Stuff like that. So that that's the big thing for us is just being able to pull the family together. And it is because of baseball, because there isn't any other reason for me to do those things except it's the baseball and, and, and brings it out. That's great. Now, do you find that, especially with Chris Davis's run last year of 53 home runs, that uh, more Oriole fans of today are rediscovering your dad's baseball career? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think a lot of people... Um, you know, my dad picked the absolute worst year ever to have the best year he ever had. I mean, if my father had that year, any three years before or three years after, he's the MVP, he'd be that, maybe that household name. Having it the year he did, kind of, if you weren't in that era, you really didn't know. But that's what really got me onto the Twitter deal. People were sending me, your dad was mentioned in this Twitter tweet, your dad was mentioned here, because they would reference stuff. Just like recently, um, a gentleman, I think it's Cruz, who went from the Rangers to you guys. Up until the 55th game or 58th game of the year, he and my father were the only two people in the Orioles that had an RBI per game. And then the next day, Cruz didn't get one. My dad holds the record for 128 games. He was at 128 RBIs in 61. I wouldn't have known that if it wasn't through Twitter. So I know other people didn't know it if it wasn't from all the news. It's like having a news feed constantly and you know, Chris has been great. My dad and Chris have, have emailed that my dad came back from the going on that trip and I actually got a ball signed by Chris and my dad and Brady Anderson. Um, 
it, it has, and it's been kind of nice. It's been kind of nice to uh, get get a little more of that attention because I am selfish and that I want my son and baseball to actually experience it. And when he can go to these card shows and see these people in line, I, it's going to be it's going to be. So, I can't wait till August eighth that my son is at this luncheon that the advocates or someone is holding. I don't know the exact group, but they're holding, and he's going to see these people that are like. He's not just grandpa. He, these people's idol, and it's a unique deal. And, and Chris doing what he did definitely, definitely made it easier for me to have those moments with my son. One of the other things that we've been truly delighted about with the Orioles in the last couple of years is not only their their play on the field, and yes, that is important, but one of the things they've done is they've made a real effort to reach back and reconnect with their history. And part of that was the uh, the, the statues that they put out there in the in the area behind center field is some of the celebrations that they've had during games, and I really feel like now is a perfect time for baseball fans, younger baseball fans, your son's age, our kid's age, to reach back and and kind of rediscover not only your dad, but other greats from the Orioles organization who maybe in the last few years, the the team hasn't done such a good job of that. Well, that that may be the case. I mean, you know, not living in Baltimore, I know whenever we go back, we feel like it's like getting a welcoming parade because when you go back so seldom, but the one thing is I think all of baseball needs to do that. And I'll, and I'll relate this to an interesting story. I tried to buy my son a jersey. I could not order Jim Teal and the number four from Major League Baseball because they won't sign an agreement with the retired players. So, therefore, I had to actually put Jim Teal and three ones after it in order to get it made on the Major League Baseball website. Hmm. So, you can't even go online and if your favorite player was Willie Mays, get a Willie Mays jersey made. So, they almost don't allow the younger fans who might want to actually embrace their players. You can't go, you know, unless you're buying it from the Orioles directly where they've made it like a Ripken or someone like that, you can't go online and do that. So they almost make it a little difficult. So teams like Baltimore who are doing that, I praise them for that because, you know, when, when you're own, when you can't even go get your own grandpa's Jersey, it, they're, they're kind of, it's almost like we only want to sell the new guy and we don't want to bring back in the history. And the more I think they do that, the more I think people might actually respect what these guys now are doing. No, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. Actually, that just shocks me. That's, you know, that, that sounds like a good rallying cry for us to just go out there and say, we want, we want our Jim Gentile jerseys and we want them now. Um, I mean, well, it was just ironic. I never in a million years thought no, I couldn't go online and order a kid small. I'm just shocked. And have the yeah. Number four. I'm just shocked. It's just like, number, yeah, yeah, that's and unbelievable. Would, and it said, it declined the order, declined the order. So then I got creative put the three ones behind it and it accepted it. Wow. That's just unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I do think it's great that they're embracing it. I do think it's fantastic. That they're, I think it's great that they're bringing back the older players and, the, and, and to bring those people back. And especially, you know, I'll tell you a team that does a great job with it is the Brooklyn Dodgers. My father is one of very few Brooklyn Dodgers still alive, but he gets more uh, recognition and more contact and more, I don't know what word to use, more appreciation from Brooklyn than he, than Baltimore. And he only hit, I mean, he got, you know, what, 42 at-bats as a Brooklyn Dodger. That is definitely because a franchise that, that appreciates its unique history. Yeah. Well, and don't forget, I mean, I think it's it does have that uniqueness, Brooklyn, you know, but, but when your father, and, and my dad was very unique. He got to go to Japan with, with Jackie Robinson. He made it with Don Drysdale and did those things. So he's got the stories, I guess, but the reality of it was it's just always been ironic 
that even to this day, there's a Christmas card that shows up from the Dodger organization. Can't always say that happened with other organizations that he may have had more successful years with. Let me let me ask you this this one last question. Then uh, again, we well, appreciate so much your your time that you spent with us tonight. Um, obviously, uh, amazing opportunities for for your grandson to to experience baseball through you and and through his grandfather. Um, but uh, you mentioned that that your dad was done with baseball by the time you were you were able to experience it. What was it like growing up with baseball with your dad? Um, him having been a, a major league baseball player. Here's the the ironic part about it. Um, I don't think until I was probably seven or eight that I even understood what it meant. Dad played baseball. I mean, there were some trophies and there were some pictures, but we we I grew up in Arizona. I mean, there wasn't even a major league baseball team there. There wasn't a lot of ties. And and honestly, um, I think the way my dad's career ended and the way things were, I, I don't, I think he, the way it started and the way it ended, the middle was great, but being stuck seven years in the Brooklyn Dodger organization behind Gil Hodges, then being traded away from Baltimore. I don't think he ever got over the broken heart of being traded out of Baltimore. I just don't. I mean, you, the numbers show it, everything show it. The point is it was almost like, okay, that part of my life's done. I'm moving past it. But once we got into sports and once we started to like it, he was your typical, okay, this is what you want to do. This is how you want to do it and supported us, you know, 100%. The thing that was so ironic that would kill him is he'd bring me in. It was, I can distinctly remember this. It was eighth grade. I made the varsity baseball team first base. I was actually using, ironic story, if you go into the hall, if you go into the Orioles Hall of Fame where they have the cubes, where they have the players and the little crystal squares in the back, mm-hmm. The glove, the glove that's in there was the glove I used in the eighth grade for playing first base. Wow. And then they called it. They called and asked for it. And my dad shipped it off, and the next year I had to get a new glove. But uh, the the he would tell me how to you know put your heels against the bag and how you would move up the line or down the line based on a throw. But I never was comfortable with that, so I always just ran and put my left foot against the bag and stretched out because I was left-handed. Then it, where it would be funny is you'd come back from practice and go, Dad, Dad, guess what the coach told me? And he would just be like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> two, and a half, two and a half years ago, I talked to you about shifting your feet on the bag and doing this and doing that. But it just sometimes it's, it's, it's not, it's, you, you know, Dad told me, okay, yeah, Dad, well, and you, you, yep. you, where you get the message. But never pushed, never really drove us that way. We were better at better sports than baseball. Just to be completely honest with you, um, my brother was uh, a tremendous football player. I was much better at golf than any other sport that I played, but we still, it was like it was in our blood. We loved it. We enjoyed it. We played it, but we didn't just have that same passion for baseball as, as he did, but we always had a sports sports mentality. I mean, one thing we didn't grow up in was a and, and God bless the way the society is, but we didn't grow up in a participation was okay family. You keep score. There's winners. There's losers. There's a reason for that because when you get into the real world, there's winners. There's losers. You practice the way you're going to play. I mean, it, there was that part of it, the stereotypical what you want to do, but it was still more of as long as you're having fun doing it. Well, this was as long as you're having fun doing it. He never cared about going to practice because somebody was going to see him. And half the time, to be honest, my dad worked his ass off after baseball. My dad, I mean, I'd be willing to bet other than games, he didn't go to practices. He couldn't do those things because, you know, back then they didn't make what they make now. So, but it was good. It was fun. But it was it was definitely one where we didn't, um, 
I don't think we really understood what my dad had done and what he had accomplished in baseball until other people told us. And I think by the time we kind of related to it and thought, wow, that was a resource we could have tapped into, we were done. I mean, we were out of high school. I, I, I think we just got so consumed and there wasn't the videos. I didn't get to go back and see my dad play. There wasn't eBay to buy the old all-star game programs yet. There wasn't anything unless my dad saved it. I had no way to know. There wasn't an internet for you to look it up on. So unless my dad was going to sit down and just tell you stories, you just didn't know. You had the baseball cards, but you just didn't know the way you know today. I can go online and read my son's stories and read things that I didn't even know was out there of what people said and what they thought. So I just don't know that we knew. I don't think sometimes what you don't know will hurt you. And I don't think that we really knew what those stats meant, what, what it really meant to do what he did. And I just don't think we paid enough attention to it and respected it enough as kids to embrace it, to take advantage of it. Well, it does not sound like there's any shortage of your family embracing it at this point. Uh, I think what you're doing with your with your dad and your son is is just fantastic. And I think that all of us who have kids and who are passionate about baseball, you know, want to be able to to pass on that that passion for the game and and the meaning that baseball can really have for and, and for outside people. of just baseball, just being able to pass on family history and just the aspect of where you've come from and you know what your grandfather did and you know, what is, you know, in your family, you know, line. And I think that's just such an important aspect of just capturing the whole history of a family. So, you know, baseball in this case is a great example, but let's just not limit to baseball. This is just a great example. So, Bo, I just want to, you know, tip my cap to you and say, well done, keep up the good work. (laughs) No, guys, and I appreciate it. And it was great meeting you guys on Twitter. And I would love if when we're coming in on like August 6th and we're going to be there for the deal on August 8th, if there's ever a chance, if you guys are going to be out at the ballpark, if there's a way for us maybe to get together and, and introduce my son, Trey, and, and have you guys maybe spend some time with, with my dad, I think it'd be fantastic. That yeah. would be amazing. We'd love that. And, uh, yep. you know, if, if, you're, if your son can have a great experience at Camden Yards, that's really all that matters, right? Exactly. Yeah, that, that's really the key. I mean, he's been on the field when dad got his check on us, but I'm kind of hoping, I'm trying to convince my dad, and I'll be honest with you, I'm really trying to convince him that when they call out the players to walk out on the field and introduce him. I want him to take his grandson with him. And yep. I want him to do like some of the major league players do with the all-star game and this and that. I'm like, dad, you're 80. They may not be here at 80 at their 65th anniversary. You may not be here. And I'm trying to convince him to, to grab his grandson by the hand and take him out there. But dad's kind of, it'll, it'll be a spur of the moment deal, but I'm, I'm definitely, that's my move. That's what I'm hoping. That's the moment I want. That's the next moment I want is the two of them, out there at Camden Yards having that moment that Trey will be able to live and see for the rest of his life. Well, if you need someone to talk him into it, just let us know. We'll be there backing you up. <laughs> I will. We'll, we'll start a petition. All right. We'll that sounds like a plan. <laughs> we will uh, We'll keep our fingers uh, crossed, and we will look for you when you get into Baltimore. Bo, thank you so much for joining us here on Birds of You. We really appreciate it. You bet, guys. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
Scott, before we go any further, can I tell a quick story? We're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> so when, when I first learned to drive, I had a, uh, a 1986 Crown Victoria, and it was gray. It was like battleship gray. Okay. Or like great white shark gray. And so I, uh, I got this song on, on CD, and I used to play it when I was in parking lots. Like, you know when you're in a parking lot? The Jaws theme. Yeah. And you're trying to find a, a spot. And so somebody comes out of the store or the restaurant and you kind of like stalk them sure. behind. Yeah. So I used to play this song with my windows down, just cruising very slowly behind people waiting for them to get into their car. One person in the entire time I did it actually got the joke. Did he just turn around and give you a golf clap? No, she gave me a dirty look. But it amused me to no end. All right. So this segment is all about... say a major panty dropper. <laughs> this segment is all about the Orioles treading water, if you will. And being left with a bloody stump at the end. <laughs> the O's had a chance to pull within a half a game of first place uh, of the first place Toronto Blue Jays. In their four-game series, instead, the team split and the Orioles head off to Tampa no better off than they were before the series started. Now, some fans may find this to be a bit of a missed opportunity, uh, especially given the way the team uh, went out with a whimper on Sunday. But the Orioles are treading water in the American League East, and I will take that for now. Scott, I'll tell you, a- an apologist would say that the Orioles had as much a chance to end up eight and a half games out of first place at the end of that series. But instead... Hello, 2011, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, they got out of what could have been a dangerous series and a club who's turned out to be better than we all expected. So let's look. The Orioles hosted the Athletics, the Red Sox, and the Blue Jays in a 10-game homestand. They came out 5-5, five and five, and, you know, that's not a great outcome, but I'll take it. And the reason I'm going to take it is because of this. Scott, can, can you just picture the next 17 games? One second. One second. I'm getting the visualization. All right, I have it. All right. The next 17 games, the Orioles are going to play seven against Tampa Bay, who are 27 and 43. Going to and, play f- and currently beating the Orioles on Monday night. <laughs> four against Texas, who's a game under 500. Three against Chicago, who's four games under 500. And three against New York Yankees, who have the same record as the Orioles. This is a stretch of the season that they can make hay. And they can make hay, and they're going to in a good position to do so because they got out of the rough stretch okay. Are you kidding me? Are you absolutely kidding me? When have the Orioles shown that they're going to feast on lesser opponents in the past? They haven't. They haven't shown the ability to do so last year. They didn't show the ability to do this year. Even in 2012, they struggled with beating, you know, losing teams effectively. So, Jake, I understand where you're coming from. But records don't matter. This is a team that plays down to their competition. I thought that was the Ravens. Well, in this case, it's the Baltimore Orioles as well. So the Baltimore Orioles are in a situation of they are not playing good baseball. They are playing down to their competition. And even if their pitching is great, their offense struggles. If their offense struggle or if their offense is great, then their pitching struggles. This is a team that has having a very difficult time of sustaining wins and putting back to back wins together. And it's just it's a sign of not a very good team. And I don't care what the records are, they're going to display the same 
you know, results regardless of who they play if they can continue to play in this fashion. I'll tell you, it will be more difficult. It's diffi- all about run differential, Jake. <laughs> it will be more difficult for the gym hunters of the world to proclaim this is a wonderful team if they get out of this next 17-game series around 500. I, I think the Orioles need to make a statement at this point in the season to start pushing away from the middle of the pack and, and putting them towards the front upper echelon of the AL East. I will say, though, that as long as they can keep close to the front runner, it's okay for the Orioles to be you know, around 500 as you get even into August, as long as nobody else pulls away. Okay. I understand what you're saying to certain regard. And yes, you know, you're staying around the front runner and stuff like that. The other thing too, is you're only a game out of the wild card too, which again, I think we need to point perspective. If the Orioles don't win the American league East, I think we, you know, come back in 2013 and 2012, if we would get a wild card spot there, I think we would have been perfectly happy with him. been like, I can't believe we were even going to the playoffs. So I, I think we do need to backtrack a little bit and say, you know, what happens if we don't win the American League East? Are we still going for the playoffs or are we actually just, we always have to just go straight for the American League East? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we have got a, a perfect chance of both, like you just said. Again, I, I don't want to beat this to death, but I do think that we should at least give credence to the fact that treading water for now is not a killer. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things is, is, you know, a month ago I would have said, when we're playing Detroit, I said there's no way we're going to beat Detroit in a playoff series. But now you look at like stats of Verlander, and Verlander is pretty much right there with like a Chris Tillman or an Obaldo Jimenez in terms of ERA and FIP. And you know, it's just amazing to see you know how badly Detroit's been playing as of recently. And Kansas City, for example, has been playing great as of lately. I think this is a situation of whoever gets hot in August and September is going to go into the playoffs and is going to whack whoever is in the playoffs. Uh, and you know. It's a long season. I don't think we can make this determination at this point. But at the same point of run differential does have a role in this, and the Orioles are playing very much like a 500 team. It's not like they're playing under what they're doing. They're playing right at the 500 ball that they should be playing right now. So, Jake, we'll see what happens over the next you know 17 games that are visualizing. But honestly, they're not a very good team right now. Well, you know who is also not impressive? One of us. I think we should talk about which one of us that is. And I'm pretty sure. You know who it was? I'm going to be sad. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting. Oh, baby. You sure do swing. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting. Oh, daddy. Hey, you are the king. Baby, you've got me beat up and down, inside out and across. Oh, yeah. But in the middle of the night, when the moon is shining bright, I, you're the boss. Yes, Jake, I'm the boss once again. You cheated. No, I didn't. You used math. I did use math. Drat. Yeah. So, Jake, we went with XFIP, and there was a little bit of controversy with his XFIP decision. <laughs> okay. Jake, you tried to do math. I was I was going to try to impress you. Scott, I just want to please you. I just want to please you. Yeah, you. I tried to, to, to bring math to the table and calculate XFIP myself, and I was off a few decimal Well, it, it was just a simple situation of throwing a percentage in there just as the whole number as opposed to the actual percentage. So, Jake, I'm going to give you this. You lost in Fantasy Boss, but I can get you an extra like $10,000 in taxes over the past few years, okay? <laughs> So you might be able to get that boat that you've been wanting all this time. So you're going to audit my XFIP? Is that what you're telling me? Exactly. <laughs> all right. So Wei-Yin Chen, uh, according to XFIP, outpitched Kevin Gosman this this week. Correct. 
What do you have for us in store this week? All right. So what does that put me at? Eight to, eight to three? This is eight to three. Okay, Jake. I know you don't like math, so we're just going to go with a simple uh, you know, counting stat. So like an RBI or hit or something like that that you can just count up during the week. Back back of the baseball card. Okay. I got gotcha. you. We're going to go way back in the baseball card, and we're going to go with D. Excuse me? D. 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 Do you know what D is? What What is D, Scott? D is one of the first stats created in baseball that was monitored in 1856 by Henry Chadwick. Oh, Jesus. Okay, what is D? Look, hold up a second. First of all, you're going to get upset for me for using newfangled statistics, and then I go all the way back to 1856, and you say, oh, geez. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to tell you at this point. Tell me what the hell D is. Okay, so D um, was in Henry Chadwick basically looked at how outs were recorded in the field. And D was ground ball outs, where they were in the infield, of course. Okay, so so the stat for D is infield ground ball outs. Okay, is it a percentage? Is it a ratio? It was just a count. Okay. Just a count. So what I wanted to do, Jake, is I want to use this count, and I want to look at who we think from our lineup is going to have the most infield ground ball outs. Oh, so this was an offensive stat and not one for the pitchers. It was one for—it was actually used— in two regards, but mainly it was used for the batters. It was looking at the batters and seeing what they did in the course of the game. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm actually a little, a little on board with the D now because it's from 1856. I'm down, <laughs> I am down with the 1856 D. I'm also going to give you this too. This is something you're going to love too is by my records. And I can't find this anywhere. I do not believe there's a single database online that actually has this stat. So we actually have to go through the game logs and pick out infield ground balls. Oh crap. All right. So you know what that means, Jake? We're going to need to break out the scoring pads and keep score ourselves this week. All right, I like this. Okay? I, like I knew this. you were going to like this. So, I think this is a way for you to turn it around. Let's uh let, let's let's work this out here. Do me this favor. Now we're doing counting. So again, you don't want to pick someone like Ryan Flaherty who might only come to to, to you know, uh, in like three or four plate appearances for the week. Okay. So you want to pick someone that's a constant in your lineup. That's exactly what I was going to go for. Okay. You probably don't want a guy like uh Davis He's uh, he's more of a you know a fly ball hitter. You might not want a guy like uh, Nelson Cruz because if it doesn't go over the wall, he's just going to swing through mm-hmm. it. All right. So the question becomes: Who puts the ball on the ground and isn't necessarily hitting the cover off the ball? I'm going to do it again. I'm going to go with Manny Machado. Okay. I am going to go with J. J. Hardy. Damn, that's a good pick. <laughs> Manny Machado is Jake's pick for ground ball outs. Scott's is J. J. Hardy. Who will own it? And with that, Jake, I think it's time we uh, go through the rest of our group and who was good, who was bad, and yes, who was ugly. Yes, Jake, it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jake, I'm going to let you uh, start off. What, what are you thinking? All right, this week, for my good, I'm going to have to go with Bud Norris. Bud Norris has really been the stalwart of our of our rotation. He's the only guy that really seems to have it together all the time. And I feel like we're talking about what's wrong with the starting rotation and not enough with what's right with it. So, Bud Norris, my good for this week. Or right, my good for the week is actually going to go to... 
Orioles attendance this weekend. The Orioles had 44,000 come out on Friday, and they had 46,000 come out on Sunday. It's a great turnout for the Orioles at OPAC. Uh, Even on Saturday, you had 33,901. That's a really good series against Toronto. Yeah, they usually don't draw. They usually don't draw, but this was a great indication. Maybe it was the paper hats. Who knows? Jake, what was your bad for this week? All right. I did like the uh, I did like the paper hat, by the way. All right. My bad for this week is J.J. Hardy. And, you know, we've talked a lot about J.J. Hardy's uh, struggles to hit the long ball, but what we have said is that he has been hitting, and that was not as true this week. J.J. Hardy was in, let's see, 25 at-bats. He got five hits, and that's simply not going to get it done. J.J. Hardy doing nothing for you offensively. He's my bad this week. Jake, I'm going to go with my bad for the week, which is going to have to be, hmm, hmm, let me think about this. Oh, yeah, it's going to be big game Tommy Hunter. Uh, Ever since big games come back, he's had some really um, awful results. Um, And I really question the aspect of uh, him not being put into high leverage situations, which he was throughout the beginning of the season. Um, It was interesting to see him get so excited over catching a fly ball of Chris Davis's. But honestly, he really hasn't done really much on the mound. Chris, uh, Tommy Hunter, you're on notice, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how long the Orioles keep going to him or whether he turns into a Kevin Gregg-esque pitcher of up, slop, roll, put up Tommy Hunter in. Say it ain't so. He can't be the protester. He can't be. I hope not. All right. My ugly for this week is the Orioles on Sunday. Scott, you and I have talked a lot about the fact that we are trading in our Sunday plan because the Orioles can't get it together on this day of the week. I am so sick of watching the Orioles lose on Sundays. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's it's Buck Showalter resting uh, the stars. I don't know if it's them, you know, uh, feeling like they've got to get away the next day and running through the motions, whatever it is. I've sat through way too many Sunday games where it feels like the Orioles have put themselves out of chance to buy, uh, win a game well before the game has even started. I'm done. Sundays at Camden Yards, you're on notice, and I'm gone. Yeah. Jake, my league for this week is going to go to rain delays. Rain delays in the seventh or eighth inning when it's late at night just is absolutely dagger. I'm already sleepy as it is, and I want to go to bed. And then all of a sudden, you're going to pop an hour rain delay on me. You know, I just have to say to those fans that stick out through those rain delays, Carne, I'm looking at you. Congratulations. You guys are the true fans. Me, I'm going to take my old ass to bed, and I'm going to catch up to see what the score was in the morning. So rain delays, you're on notice. I've had enough of you. I like it. Jake, what do you think about uh, going ahead and uh, blowing the save? All right. Now, we've got an interesting topic this week. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, ball hawking article that got written on Utah Street Report last week. I got asked by uh, my friends Jen and Billy Lovett to comment on the ball hawking debate on on Twitter on Friday. And I was a little uncomfortable to talk about it on Twitter uh, for a couple of reasons. First, I don't think that 140 characters is a good medium for being thoughtful. Um, second of all, I, I didn't think that any of the discourse that was taking place on social media had any value to it at that point, and I didn't want to make things worse. A lot of people came off looking bad, and I'm not just talking about the people that wrote the article. And the third third part of is, uh, the reason I didn't want to talk about it is because I wanted to chew on it a little bit before making up my mind. Now, the reason I want to be careful about being overly critical of these guys is because I have a sports-related hobby that I take too seriously. I spend way too many hours in the week reading, blogging, preparing for this podcast. Yeah, Scott, I said I prepare. <laughs> and then I sit down and record a show every Monday night. 
And I'm sure that there are people out there who find this hobby pathetic. I'm sure that the people that, that look at us like a bunch of nerds, and we are, uh, and have no appreciation for what it is that we do here at Bird's Eye View. And that's okay. It's okay because it takes all kinds in this world and all kinds in Orioles and baseball fandom. That having been said, I'm uncomfortable then with saying to people, well, you're not a real fan. I'm not comfortable with saying that to anyone for any reason, for any way that they express their baseball fandom. I don't like saying that the thing that you do that makes baseball special for you makes you less than me. At that point, I think that we miss the point of what this game is about. And I do say game. Let's not forget that people took this thing way too seriously and it blew out of proportion. And, you know, maybe that's social media talking. But excuse me if I have too high a standards for how people ought to behave and conduct themselves both in life and on the computer. All right, now that I've put all that out of the way, I want to talk a little bit about this ball hawkers thing. The, the criticism for these guys went too far. It got personal in a hurry, and that's unfortunate. I don't really think much of ball hawking, but if you're going to do it, you need to handle it in the way that you handle the rest of your life. Don't be a jerk. These guys that wrote that article acted like they were entitled to special treatment when they were not. They held a ball, a ball, a stupid ball of all things, hostage. They expected that Adam Jones would value it and want it back, and so they planned to acquire it so that they could take advantage of that value. And they did so by using a device designed to retrieve a ball from an area to the ballpark that was restricted to fans. Anytime that you work that hard to acquire something so that you can get something from somebody else, you cheapen the game. And that's my opinion. Now, if I caught a a player's milestone ball, I wouldn't want gear or an autograph. And to be honest, those things don't really interest me. I would, I would ask for some FaceTime with the player. I would, I would want to meet the player, hand them the ball and say, hey, congratulations. But if that request was denied, I'd shrug, I'd handle it like a grown-up, and I'd give the ball to the handler and ask the attendant to pass along my congratulations. Lastly, about the article itself, I want to say this about the Post. There's a reason that I don't watch Fox News. It's because I don't like to see a one-sided agenda piece treated like fact. The Post was written for the express purpose of making Adam Jones look like a jerk. We only got one account of the interaction between those guys and Jones. Now, does that mean that I don't believe that he said what they wrote? No. But it does mean that I suspect that the tenor of the conversation was different. I believe that there was a negative fan experience as much because of the way the fans acted as it was the way the player reacted. Moreover, that post did nothing but make those ball hawking guys look bad. The last thing, and then I'll shut up about this, is that if I'm Adam Jones, I don't buy back that ball. For a number like 150, when it's clear that I'm going to hit a butt-ton more home runs in the major leagues, I grab a ball out of the clubhouse, I write 150 on it, and I put it in my shelf. Because nobody will ever know and nobody will ever care. It's the accomplishment of the moment and not the physical ball that matters. That's a big soapbox you just got off of. That's a really big soapbox. Was that coming from like BJ's or Walmart or Costco? It was a pallet converted into a soapbox. Okay, I'm really impressed. I mean, that was really nice. Um, before we close out, I just want to say thank you so much for Bo Gentile for coming on. That was really a great honor. You know, we meet and talk to a lot of your people, but, you know, Bo, thanks for coming on. So, Jake, with that, you want to say? I do, I do. Good night, Baltimore.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Oh, yeah. There you go.